Hi, this is Josie Posey. And this is Sylvia Bellavin. And you're, you're listening, listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, everyone, and welcome. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. It's Sunday, March 3rd, and this, you know it, this is your Sunday sermon. You know, we've just come off an awesome eight-week sermon series called Discipleship Matters, and it was amazing. And if you, by chance, missed out on that series, you can catch up right here on this media platform, and I hope you will. Now, over the next two Sundays, I'm going to preach two specific messages that are going to continue to challenge us as we strive to be better disciples of Jesus. I'll tell you more in a moment, but right now, join me in a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you once again for the time we can hear from your word today. Thank you for the opportunity to bring this message to all who are listening and are watching and who are in person with us today. Lord, open our ears to hear you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. All right, today's sermon is titled, Love God, Love Your Neighbor. And the scripture reference is Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. Now, there was a not-too-bright fellow who decided to become a counterfeiter. He hired an engraver of equal intelligence, and they proceeded to produce some counterfeit money. By some mix-up, though, the money turned out to be $11 bills. Now, not wanting to waste the effort, the crook decided to head to an isolated small town where he figured he could cash the bogus bills. He goes into a country store, small country store, and he asks the clerk if he had change for an $11 bill. Sure do, the clerk said. Would an $8 bill and a $3 bill be okay? Now, that fellow was not too bright. But you know, folks, sometimes we're not too bright as well. It depends on what we're talking about, of course. Occasionally, when it comes down to worldly matters, we do pretty well. But when it comes to spiritual matters, all of us fail at times, and sometimes pretty miserably. John 18, verses 25 to 27 has an account, and it says, Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire warming himself, they asked him again, You're not one of the disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, No, I am not. Then one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked him, Didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it, and immediately a rooster crowed. We all recall the fact that the apostle Peter denied Jesus. Some say that Peter stood warming himself at the devil's fire. The scripture doesn't call it that, of course, but it's a pretty good thought. And whether we want to admit it or not, we've all warmed ourselves at the devil's fire and denied Jesus at times. We've denied him in one way or another. It may have been by committing some sin, or it may have been a sin of omission, failing to do something good. Unlike Glenn Campbell, who said he really wasn't drunk, but he was just overserved. We need to admit that we have failed at times. Now, here's a question for you. What's your greatest spiritual mistake? Now, I'd rather talk about yours than mine, for sure. We really don't want to go there, do we, though? However, in secret, before the Lord, we should go there and own up to our own spiritual failures. James chapter 4, verses 8 through 10 say, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6 say, In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. 
There was a man that was stopped by a police officer who asked him why he was driving 66 miles per hour when the speed limit was 35. The man replied, but officer, I saw a sign that read 66. The officer patiently explained, mister, that's the route number, not the speed limit. Oh my goodness, officer, the man exclaimed. It's a good thing you didn't see me then on Route 109. Now let me set the context of what's happening for the text today. It's the last week of Jesus' life. He's just cleared out the temple and chased away the money changers, and now his enemies unleash a hurricane of hatred towards him. Now earlier in chapter 22, the chief priests, teachers of the law, and elders confront Christ with a question. In verse 15, we read, Then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Then in verse 24, the Sadducees ask him a crazy question about the afterlife. I love the answer that Jesus gives them in verse 29. Your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Beloved, may that never be said of us. And then one of the teachers of the religious law who had heard this debate was drawn to Jesus. In our text, we have the question that's put to Jesus. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? This man wants to know which one has the most weight. This was an often debated question among the religious leaders. Jesus' answer, it summarizes the entire teaching of Scripture and can be remembered by this simple phrase, love God, love your neighbor. Warren Wiersbe points out that Jesus' answer reveals that we are to live not by the rules, but by relationships. If we get this right, most things are going to fall into place. But if we get these wrong, most other things will go wrong as well. So let's examine the words of Jesus about loving God and loving our neighbors to see what he's trying to teach us today. First of all, loving God. Look at our text, Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So in other words, love for God is the foundation of all obedience. I'm struck by at least three truths in this verse. The first is, love is just more than a feeling. It's a command. It's a privilege. So you and I must make a conscious decision to love God. Love is principally an action, not primarily an emotion. The second truth is love should lead to a relationship. Jesus personalizes a relationship with the Lord by using the phrase, your God. And that leads me to a question. Is he your God, beloved? And the third truth is love is to be comprehensive. Notice the word all. It's used three times in this verse. God's wholehearted love for us cannot be answered by half-hearted commitment from us. By listing the heart, soul, and mind, no area is left out. We're to love him with everything we have, with devotion in our hearts, with passion in our souls, and thoughtfulness in our heads, with our energy through our hands. Little four-year-old Martha, hugging a doll in each of her pudgy little arms, looked wistfully up at her mother and said, Mama, I love them and love them and love them, but they never love me back. Could this be our problem, beloved? He loves us. Jesus loves us. But we never love him back? Or perhaps we never love him back the way he deserves to be loved. Beloved, don't you think our Father deserves far more than we give him? He deserves more love than we show him. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Sounds like a bunch to me more than we do now. A little boy declared that he loved his mother with all his strength. He was asked to explain what it meant by with all his strength. He said, well, I'll tell you. You see, we live on the fourth floor of this apartment building and there's no elevator and the coal is kept in the basement. Mother is busy all the time and she isn't very strong. So I see to it that the coal bin is never empty. I lug the coal up four flights of stairs all by myself. It's a pretty big bin. It takes all my strength to get it there. Now, isn't that loving my mother with all my strength? I would definitely say so. What does it mean to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind? 
It certainly means putting our all into our worship, surrender, and service. One of the major struggles of religion at the time was legalism. The problem with legalism was that the focus was on following laws instead of imitating God. We generally think that there are just 10 commandments, but the Pharisees actually added more to them and came up with 613 commands or rules. 248 of them were on the positive side, in other words, do this, do that, and 365 were negative, don't do this, don't do that. For them, a don't a day kept the devil away. And the thing that made it even more confusing was that the religious teachers couldn't even determine which of the laws were the most important to follow. We've fallen into the same trap today. Many people look at the church and God as being solely concerned with keeping rules and certain regulations. And when that happens, the rules and regulations become the focal point of our faith instead of God himself. Our focus needs to be on the character of God. We need to love him, not rules and regulations. It's not that we don't love his word. We do, but we love the author more than the words. How do we love God with all our heart, soul, and mind? Any way we can, that's how. Every way we can. We do it by going to midweek Bible study and to church, by worshiping him in song, prayer, giving, communion, and personal study, and by putting ourselves into our worship, making it as meaningful as possible. Perhaps you've been in some churches or services where people raise their hands during the song service. How do you feel about that? Does it make you feel uncomfortable? Or perhaps these people were putting on a show or that it was a very genuine expression of loving God. Well, guess what? It's scriptural. 1 Timothy 2.8 says, In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. We need to realize that genuine worship is an expression of love to God, no matter what form it may take, the raised hands, the bowed head, or the bent knees. The important thing is that the heart is bent toward God in love and adoration. We're to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind anywhere anytime. At church, at home, while driving, while working, while playing, etc. We love him by honoring him as best we can by talking to him every chance we get. One lady noticed a little girl leaving church one Sunday morning. She asked, what were you doing in there? The little girl said, praying. Thinking the little girl had a problem of some sort, she asked, and what were you praying about? The little girl replied, nothing. I was just loving Jesus. We too must spend time loving Jesus in prayer, beloved. There was a little boy who entered the family room after dinner. His dad was weary from a hard day on the job. He had the recliner kicked back and he was reading the paper. Little boy inched up beside dad and said, Daddy, I love you. I love you too, son, the father replied, and he continued reading the paper. But this didn't satisfy the boy, so he went around the other side of the chair and began rubbing his daddy's arm. Daddy, I love you, he said. With the slightest amount of impatience in his voice, the father again said, I love you too, son. But still, the little one was not satisfied. Suddenly, the little boy came crashing through the newspaper into his father's chest, reaching his arms as far around his dad as he could, and he said, Daddy, I love you, and I've just got to do something about it. Beloved, if we love our Heavenly Father, we must do something about it. We've got to show Him. We must show Him at all times and in all ways how much we love Him. The second aspect of the foundation for the great commandment is this, to love your neighbor. Look at verse 39 of the text. A second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting that this man asked for the one greatest commandment and Jesus actually gave him two. He did so because loving others is the practical outworking of loving God. The two commandments are complementary and they really are one. You can't fulfill one without the other. 1 John 4:21 says, and he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. 
This goes along with what Jesus preached in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7:12, when he said, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. In their book called The One Thing, Tom and Joni Schultz point out that God craves a heart-to-heart -heart relationship with us, and we crave the same relationship with him. Ray Stedman adds, love is not a word to write on a plaque or put on your wall. Love is what you do to people that irritate you when you're upset and angry and hostile and feel like striking back. You start with God. Remember his love to you. Remember his forgiving spirit, how he wipes out everything without requiring anything of you. Respond to it and immediately pass it on to the one that you're involved with. Someone once said, it's no chore for me to love the whole world. My only real problem is my neighbor next door. Sometimes loving those closest to us is the hardest thing to do. We can give money to feed starving people on the other side of the world, but to deal kindly with someone at work or next door, like our neighbor, or maybe a family member may be a different matter entirely. There's a high cost to loving. We become vulnerable when we love people and go out of our way to help them. That's what the wealthy industrialist Charles Schwab declared after going to court and winning a nuisance suit at age 70. Given permission by the judge to speak to the audience, he made the following statement. I'd like to say here in a court of law, and speaking as an old man, that nine-tenths of my troubles are traceable to my being kind to others. Look, you young people, if you want to steer away from trouble, be hard-boiled. Be quick with a good, loud no to anyone and everyone. If you follow this rule, you will seldom be bothered as you tread life's pathway. Except, you'll have no friends, you'll be lonely, and you won't have any fun. Now, there is some truth in what Schwab said, but it doesn't sound like good advice to me. If you steer clear of people, you won't have any friends and you will be very lonely. God has always involved himself in the affairs of man because God loves his creation and he loves people most of all. And we too are to love people most of all. So here's the end of the matter today. Look at verse 40 where Jesus says the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Jesus declares before all of the religious leaders of his time and by the power of the Holy Spirit before us today, that everything else in all the commandments depends on these two commandments. That's a strong statement, beloved. Let that sink in for just a minute. If Jesus says that these two commandments sum up all of the law and the prophets, I dare say that they are a good goal for the church today to focus on. Although we can just trust Jesus on this, we should also notice there are other teachings in scripture that echo this truth proclaimed by Jesus. Remember in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, where the apostle Paul says, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love and the greatest of these is love. Or in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, where John says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Or when Jesus says in John 15, verses 12 and 13, This is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Or when Jesus says in John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And there's plenty more verses in the Bible that support these two supreme commands that are built on love. Love God and love others. In closing, let me say this. When Carl J. Prince, for many years the Swedish council in Toronto, appeared on TV on his 99th birthday, an interviewer asked, Give us the rule you followed during your long and useful life. Prince replied, I would mention one definite rule. One must be temperate in all things. Then he added quickly, perhaps I should say, except to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
These are the only things we can rightly do to excess. Interestingly, in Mark's version of this encounter, the man responds by commending Jesus for his answer. Turn over to Mark chapter 12, verses 32 to 34. The teacher of the religious law replied, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth by saying there is only one God and no other. And I know it's important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Now, this man had a lot more growing and rethinking to do. But in recognizing the wisdom of Jesus' response to his question, which may have been intended as a trap, Jesus actually said he was close to getting it. This is the essence of kingdom life. We can be off base on a lot of other doctrinal issues, but if we recognize the importance of the law of love, we are not far from the kingdom Jesus was offering. I'd like to end today by doing something very special. It's reciting Jesus' amended version of the Shema. This is what comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.